I'm here to preach the word, so why don't we get straight into that? Anyone ready? Strap in your your seatbelts and get ready for God's word. What have we been talking about lately? Any anyone? Everyone? New beginnings. That's it. We've been talking about new beginnings. And we've been looking at the book of Joshua, which is the book of new beginnings, uh, where the children of Israel leave the wilderness to go into the promised land. And we've talked about the fact from Joshua 1, the importance of the word of God to be strong and courageous and to fill fill ourselves, let the word of God be on our lips and meditate on it day and night and act on it. And we talked about from Joshua 3 a couple of weeks ago, the fact that We are called to consecrate ourselves to God, that for a new beginning we have to get ready by consecrating ourselves. And tonight, who likes a fight? I know Dougie liked a fight once upon a time, but he's a different man now. But uh, but it's a a fact that at some point, if we're going to see a new beginning happen in our life, we have to be ready to fight. In our story, in Joshua 6, excuse me, The children of Israel have just crossed the River Jordan and God opened the way and allowed them to cross over safely a flooded River Jordan and then they come to the first city of the promised land. Who knows what it's called? Anyone? Jericho. And so they're faced with Jericho and so all of a sudden they have to either wait for God to miraculously give it or they have to fight for Jericho and the fact is as Mao said last week there is always a before before we graduate we have to study before we get fit and healthy we have to exercise and before we can have a victory we have to fight for it (laughs) I'll come to that a bit later (laughs) But the fact is, we have to fight. And, and <laughs> you throw me, Roy. But, uh, but the fact is, things don't just fall in your lap. It's the, it's the reality of it. There are the things that matter to us most in life, the things of real value, we do have to fight for. And so tonight, I want to share with you a, a significant key on how we can win the fight and how we can win that battle. So let's pray. And we'll get straight into it. Lord God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this church and and for the people gathered here tonight to hear your word. I pray that for every one of us, including myself, that as your word goes out, it will speak to us, it will transform us, and it will conform us more into the image of your son, Jesus. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, the imagery of warfare is everywhere throughout the Bible. That, that uh, throughout the Bible, that God talks about fighting for your victory and, and fighting the battle. And God makes it very clear that when we become followers of Jesus, we're not ju- just followers of Jesus, we actually become soldiers in God's army. Uh, and this war that we fight is not a physical war. I think, unfortunately, some Christians get it in their mind that it is a physical war, but it's not a physical war. War. It's a war in the spirit. And uh, it's a war to see God's kingdom established in our lives and in the world that we live in. And so I want to give you, if you go, where, where does it talk about this in the Bible, Ben? I want to give you some scriptures 
to help you see this, uh, this idea of fighting for victory and fighting the battle. Psalm 144 verses 1 and 2 says, Praise be to the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. 2 Corinthians 10 says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. 1 Timothy 1 Paul writes to his spiritual son Timothy and says, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to the faith and a good conscience. And he goes on to say in 2 Timothy, Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer and then this famous scripture in Ephesians 6 we all know it about putting on the armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms therefore put on the full armor of God so that when so when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand or done everything to stand. So you see over and over again, the Bible gives us this military imagery and it helps us to understand that as followers of Jesus, we are entering into a war or a battle. It's a war between flesh and spirit, a war between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And we need to be aware and we need to be watchful and we need to be prepared for this fight. As I read in this, these passages in 2 Corinthians, it talked about the fact, though, that we as Christians don't wage war as the world does. Isn't that what it said? That God requires us to have a very different attitude when we face a fight. And we, and we see this clearly in the story of Jericho in Joshua when the Israelites are faced with Jericho, we see that they fight the battle very differently to what we expect. This attitude that's required of us as soldiers in God's army is the attitude that Jesus had. You read about it in Philippians. And it's also the attitude that God saw in the man Moses, who he chose to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt and out of slavery towards the promised land. And if we're going to be victorious soldiers in God's army, and if, and if we're going to see the victories in our life that God wants to give us, this is the attitude we need to have in our lives. It's the attitude that needs to lead us and guide us because we can get really skillful at reading the Bible and we can get really skillful about attending church and we can, we can become really skillful orators and speakers and all of that stuff, and that's great. But if you don't have this attitude, you won't win the victories. You won't win the battle. And you go, well, what is this attitude you're talking about, Ben? I want you to have a look at this in 1 Peter 5, because this outlines the attitude we're to have as soldiers in God's army. Peter says this, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. And then he says, all of you. 
That means all of you. Doesn't mean the pastor. Doesn't mean the pastor's wife. Doesn't mean those who are on the leadership team or the, the worship band, just the worship band. How, we had more people in the worship band in church tonight almost. It's like, it's massive, massive worship band. But, uh, no, I was only teasing. But uh, it says, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is going through the same kind of sufferings. And then this is awesome. And then the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, he himself will restore you and make you strong, make you firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. You see, in this passage, we learn that humility, humility is the attitude that God Gives, wants us to have as soldiers in his army. Humility is the attitude that sets us up on the right path to winning the fight before us, to winning the fight for our new beginning. Now in the Battle of Jericho, I mentioned it, if you know it, you can have a read of it in Jer Joshua chapter 6. But in the Battle of Jericho, God gives the Israelites a very unusual strategy. Uh, he gives them a strategy. Does anyone remember it? You would have learnt it in Sunday school or maybe you've never read it. But it's not a, 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 a regular type of military strategy. But this is why the, I believe the Israelites were humble and showed humility as an attitude and a characteristic because they actually did what God asked them to do even though it seemed mad even though it seemed crazy. What he asked them to do is he said, on the first day I want you to get up and I want you to walk around Jericho all the way around and I want you to be quiet the whole time. So the first day they got up and thought, okay, God, whatever you say, we'll do it. So they walked around Jericho, back to camp, and then that was it. Didn't make much progress in taking the city. But they, they said, okay, well, that's what God said. We'll wait. Maybe something miraculous is going to happen. He's going to send a, a, a troop of angels that are going to take it for us or whatever. We'll just do what he asks. So the next day comes and he says, I want you to walk around Jericho again. And they did that for six days. I was going to say six days. But six. six days. And, and then on the seventh day, he says, okay, this is the day I want you to walk around Jericho Seven times on the last day. Now, that, I don't know about you, but that doesn't set you up to get ready for fighting, does it? Walking around, all that's going to do is make you get tired. <laughs> Reality. But God says, walk around seven times, and then on the, at the end of the seventh time, give a shout. 
And then at that point, as they followed, humbly acknowledged what God was saying and said, God will do whatever you ask because, God, you are the one who just took us across a flooded Jordan River. You, made, you, you opened it up so we could walk across on dry land. Whatever you tell us to do, we're going to do it because we know we can trust you. You've done it before, you'll do it again. And so as they did it and they gave the shout, the Bible tells us that the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. God gave them the victory and they stepped into it. But they were humble enough to say, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. So tonight I want to talk to you about what humility is. The one thing we need to understand that humility is not because sometimes we get confused and we think, oh, humble people are those people who think, oh, I'm just a worm, I'm just nothing, woe is me, I'm just, you know, feel free to walk all over me because I'm humble and meek and mild and uh, like, oh, I'm happy to be your doormat, that's fine. Uh, isn't that right? Sometimes we think that's what humble people are. But in Matthew eleven twenty nine, Jesus says this, place my yoke over your shoulders and learn from me And he says, because I am gentle and humble, then you will find rest for yourselves. And I I look at that and Jesus says, I'm humble. I'm gentle. Now, when I see Jesus and I read about Jesus, I don't see someone who's, woe is me, walk all over me, I'm your doormat. Anyone agree? When I read about Jesus in the Gospels, I see a man who's doing miracles I see a man who's, who's facing the, the authorities of his day and declaring to them, you're just a brood of vipers. You're just, you know, you're rotten to the core. And he's happy to stand up to them and say it as it is. He's a man who turns over the tables in the temple because he is disgusted in what they have turned God's temple into. So he's not some meek and mild, you know, scared to say boo. So humility is more than that sort of attitude. Uh, It's not about weakness and it's not about devaluing ourselves. Humbling yourself to me is simply this. It's simply seeing yourself from God's perspective. That's what humility is. Now I'll explain that a little bit further because the, the word we get humility from or humble from is the Latin word hummus. And hummus is not the dip that you dip, the chickpeas dip, not that hummus. But hummus in Latin literally means earth or dirt. And it has the connotation there of reminding us where we came from. Because the Bible teaches us that God, when he created Adam, that he picked up some dirt and he breathed life into it. And at that point, we became He became man or human. And at that point, it reminds us that without God's breath, we are just dust. If you were to describe that in modern terms, you'd say that humble people are down to earth people. Isn't that right? Or a a lot of ways they describe it now is that person is humble. They say that they are grounded. Isn't that true? And I thought of this because you hear it a lot when they talk about, you know, superstar um, sportsmen or things like that. And they, they say, you know, some people are just full of themselves and big-headed and, and arrogant. But then they say, oh, he's a, he's a superstar, but he's grounded. 
What does that mean? He's humble. And, and why is he grounded? And if you, talk, if you listen to interviews, it's usually what they say is they stay connected to their families. They stay connected to where they have come from. And they, if they've got poor roots and, and they, you know, they're from the ghetto or they're from you know, the, the lands or places like that and they've stayed connected, it keeps them humble. It keeps them grounded. It reminds them that without my family, I wouldn't be here. Isn't that right? That I'm grounded because I realize that without the work and the effort my mum and dad put in and my brothers and sisters remind me of all my weaknesses and all my struggles and so they keep me grounded. And in the same way, we're humble when we remind ourselves that without God's breath in me, I'm just dust. I'm just dirt. That's what humility is all about. You see, when I say humility is seeing yourself from God's perspective, the fact is God sees us the way he created us. Now, he created us in his image, that's right. But as he created us, he created us to depend upon him. He never created us to be self-sufficient. He never created us to be independent. He created us to be dependent upon him. The problem is we know sin came into the world and all of a sudden we as humans and as mankind, as humankind, we're striving to be something. We're striving to say, look at me, look how good I am. Look at what I've done. I'm such a great person. Or I'm striving to prove myself to others and to myself how good I am. But that's not how God created us. And the, the fact is, he doesn't want us to do life in our own strength. That's why he sent us a saviour. That's why Jesus became a man and became a saviour for us, for mankind, because he wanted to, uh, wanted to save us from ourselves, from that striving, from that self-sufficiency, from that, to, to sum it up, I guess, as simply as possible, he wanted to save us from our pride. The pride to say, I'm going to do this on my own. I don't need anything. I don't need God. I don't need anyone else. I can do this on my own. And God sent Jesus to save us from that pride. You see, when we acknowledge we need help, that's true humility. And it's at that point in the passage I read you before from 2 Peter, when it, where God says, God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. So when we acknowledge we need help, we acknowledge that without God's breath in us, we're just dust and we say, I can't do this without you, God. And when that happens, God's promise to us is that he will give us grace. He will give us favor. He will give us his strength. Not our strength, but his strength. You see, humility helps us assume a position of of need and dependency. Because that's the way God created us, to, to need him and to depend upon him. And a posture of obedience. And when we assume this posture of obedience towards God, it's at that point that he can give us the strength and the support we need to grow. So I want to share with you right now just a, three things of what a humble soldier looks like. Just to, to make it clear and so you can see, okay, this is if I'm going to be humble... If I'm going to work towards humility to see God's, to see a victory come in my life, to see, 
a new beginning. I need to humble myself under God's mighty hand. Then how do I do that, Ben? How do, and so I want to show you, and this is just from me. I'm sure there's many other ways, but it's just three keys on how we can be humble soldiers in God's army. Number one, humble soldiers are honest. Ooh, that's painful. Honest. You see, the closest attribute to humility is honesty. The first step to change in anyone's life is to acknowledge we need help. Anyone who's ever had an addiction or a problem like that knows that the only time you can gain freedom from it is to say, I've actually got a problem and I need help for it. That's what counsellors tell you. As Julie talked about her dad, he was an alcoholic and there was a moment where he was blind drunk walking through a country town and he walked past a church meeting and he couldn't walk past it. He felt let in and at that moment he listened to a guy preach and he realised I need help and he responded and God set him free in an instant because he said, yeah, I've got a problem and I need help. This is the the thing though, I talked about Moses before and it says in Numbers 12 that Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on earth. That's not much of a, uh, a thing to be bragging about, but that's what he was. But um, why was Moses humble? Because he acknowledged his need before God and his need for God. You see, Moses... If you know his story, he was a murderer. He murdered a man. And when God called him, he said, I can't do this because you know what I am. And God says, no, I've called you. And then he, made, he, he told God another reason why he couldn't lead the children of Israel. He said, I've got a stutter. How can a leader have a stutter? And God says, no, I've called you. I've chosen you. And so Moses was very aware of his weaknesses. And he was very honest about them. And even when, um, this is the type of person he was, as he was leading the children of Israel, he was having problems, there's over a million of them, and he was having problems pastoring them. Could you imagine that? Looking after them, a million people, I think I'd have problems doing that. I have enough problems just with you blokes and ladies. (laughs) But the reality is, his father-in-law came to him and said, you need to do something about this, you can't do this on your own, you're burning out. And the great thing that showed Moses was humble, he listened to his father-in-law and said, you're right, we need to change this. And they set up a whole system to look after the people. This is the type of humility he showed. And this is the type of humility God calls us to. It's an honest humility. It's about being honest about where you're at and what's going on in your life. Jesus said it this way in Matthew. He said, I guarantee you this truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes like this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Why does God want us to be like children? Because children are honest. You ask a child a question, they'll tell you what's on their heart, won't they? They'll tell you straight. They don't mince words. They'll tell you if you look ugly. They'll tell you if you've got... a pimple on the top of your head or a snot hanging out your nose they'll tell you oh what's that or it's not like 
Parents never, or mothers never ask their kids, do I look fat in this? Because their kids will say the truth. They ask their husbands and their husbands go, you look great. There's no problem. <laughs> but, they, but you ask your kids and they'll tell you the truth. But that's honesty. That's the humble honesty that God is looking for. But at the same time, we know that kids are dependent as well. They're, they're dependent. I look at little Ian up the back there with his mum's feeding him a bottle. He's totally dependent on his mum. And that's the type of humility that God is calling us to. You see, because as soon as we don't depend on God, what tends to happen is we start to try to do things in our own strength. And when we do things in our own strength, what happens is the window of heaven over our lives, the window of God over our lives begins to get smaller and smaller because we're not relying on him, we're not depending on him. But when we're honest about our weaknesses, all of a sudden the window of heaven over our lives can open. That God's grace can come. When we say, this is going on God, I need your help. And one of the things that God loves to do is he loves to say, give you grace, but often he'll give you grace through the people around you. Because when we're in that situation, when we're honest enough to say what's going on in our lives, God reminds us that we can't do it alone. We need him, but we also need each other. Isn't that right? A lot of us struggle with humility because being brutally honest about ourselves is really scary. Isn't that right? It's very scary to say, I've got a problem, I'm struggling with this, uh, because it makes us feel exposed. It makes us feel... uh, totally open and vulnerable. But can I let you in on a secret that the enemy doesn't want you to know? And this is pretty simple, but it's the, the secret that he doesn't want you to know is that you are not alone in your weakness. Did you hear that? You're not the only person with the weakness that you're struggling with. You are not the only person with the problem you are having. You need to understand, whenever I've found in my life, whenever I have had a problem and I'm struggling with it and God says, you need to go talk to someone about that, and I'm going, I don't want to because I don't want them to know my dirty laundry. I don't want them to know that I'm battling this because I'm, I'm proud as anyone. But he says, no, if you're going to deal with this, you, you need to go to others to talk about it. And when I've gone to other people and talked about it, The crazy thing I've discovered is most of the time they say to me, oh, I've been through that. I know exactly what you're talking about. I know exactly how you feel. And I'm here for you and I'll support you. And and they're not shocked or they're not, you know, oh, that's terrible. I've never heard of anything that crazy before. They go, I know people that struggled with that. I know there's many. And all of a sudden you realize I am not alone. There are others around me. I was talking to someone this week. I won't mention who it was. They might be on the front row. I don't know. But uh, they, they, they were sharing with me the fact that they, was, they were struggling. They were thinking, I'm struggling with some stuff. And I said, you need to talk to someone. And they are thinking, oh, they don't have the, the same problems as me. I said, go and talk to them. Talk to your peers. Talk to guys your age. And you'll find out. And he went and talked to someone. And this person said, I've struggled with that exactly same. I still struggle with that. And they were able to support each other and pray together and, and be together and know that, oh, I'm not in this alone. I've got others that 
know exactly what this is like. And see, that's what God says is when we're honest, when we're humble enough to be honest about what we're really going through, he gives us grace. And his grace often comes through others. Isn't that cool? Second thing, humble soldiers know their place. Oh, that sounds pretty rough. Now, it's not about knowing your place that you must sit there and be quiet like you might have been told when you were a kid. You know, kids are to be seen but not heard type of thing. Not knowing your place like that. Knowing your place is, is basically knowing where you fit in. What your role is and what your place is. You see, Jesus submitted himself to the will of the Father and obeyed him. Submission and obedience are the outward expression of humility. And that's, Jesus was humble and it showed that he showed his humility that he only did what the Father told him. And the key to knowing your place is not thinking of yourself better than you are. That's pretty confronting. Don't think of yourself as more than you are, that we're all in this together. And all of us have our struggles and we're all here to help one another and support each other. Paul says this a lot in his letters, but in Romans 12.3, he says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment and in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. See, do you read for he, Paul even says, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you. So he goes, I'm just saying this, not because I'm anything special, but because God has given me the grace to do this. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. He follows this up in Philippians 2, where he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility... Value others above yourselves. So he's not even, don't think of yourself more highly. Actually, maybe think of yourself more lowly. Value others more highly than yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. That's pretty challenging, isn't it? That we would do that. But what, it, what he's simply saying is understand you are part of something bigger than yourself. And when, we're, when we understand we're part of something bigger than ourselves, we, we understand that we are most effective when we are looking to make each other stronger. You see, that's when the church of God is at its strongest. That's when the army of God is at its strongest. When each of us know our place, know our part, know what we've come to do, and that each of us would think, that my job is to make other members of God's body stronger and better. And when I'm thinking I want to make you better, that makes me better. Does that make sense? That's humility saying, I'm not in this for myself. I'm not in this at, at, to get what I want. I'm in this for the kingdom of God. I'm in this for the body of Christ. I'm in this for God's plan and purpose not for my plan and purpose too much in the modern church it's about me 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 I want this why hasn't God done this for me yet 
I want that role. I want that place. I want that preaching opportunity. I want to lead on up the front here and, and be in the spotlight, even though I can't sing for peanuts or I can't play at a musical instrument. But I want that because I believe God's promised me that. No, that's just selfish ambition and vain conceit. Focus on how can I make others better? How can I support others? I'm going to follow Jesus' example. Jesus' example was he poured his whole life out. He gave up divinity, laid it down, and became a human like you and me. Why? To help us. To make us better. So what a great example is it for us to follow, that we would make each other better. I'm not here to make a name for myself. I'm here to see God's kingdom established on the peninsula. To see this church love this community to the point that they can't resist what God is doing in their lives. The last thing humble soldiers are is they're outward focused. See, humble people are generous people. I just said Jesus gave up his, his place at the right hand of the Father and became human. In other words, he gave his all. And if we're going to follow his example, we need to give our all as well. You see, the reality is we didn't deserve God's intervention. We didn't deserve Jesus to become a man and die on a cross and rise again for us. The Bible is very clear that we deserved the wrath of God. That's the reality of it. That, that's, God was within his rights to turn his back on mankind and say, I might just start all over again, rub these out. But he didn't choose because he's not that sort of God. He's a loving God. He's a gracious God. He's a God that loves his creation. He's a re reminded that he created us in his image and he says, I'm invested. These are my children and I want to do what I can to make them better. And so he gave his all. And so we need to understand, I didn't deserve God's grace. But because he gave it to me, I'm not going to waste that grace. I'm going to use it to help others. I'm going to give it out. I'm going to pour it out. I'm going to, I'm going to be an outward-focused Christian, not an inward-focused Christian, not a selfish Christian, but an outward-focused Christian. You see, humble people give more than they take because they understand how much has been given to them. Jesus gave his very life for us. So how much more can we give for him? I'll just give you this thought. Often we're told there's two types of people in the world, aren't we? We're told that there's people that see the glass half full and people that see the glass half empty. I think as Christians we're called to see the glass half full because people who see the glass half empty, they're the type of people who say, who stole the other half of my water? Don't you know I have rights? Don't you know I'm important? And, and don't you know that you owe me something? Well, not just you, but God owes me something. Where's my water? You know, I, I felt like this a few months ago when our fruit trees got stolen from 
the garden out there. I felt that way. I tell you the truth. I go, this is wrong. This is not fair. God, we were going to use that to bless the community and someone's stolen it. That's not fair. Who stole my fruit trees? But, but the reality is they were a gift anyway. They were a gift to us. We didn't pay anything for them. So my attitude needed to change. God bless those people who stole my fruit trees. They obviously needed it more than me. Isn't that right? Because people who see the glass half full, they say, I am so blessed to have any water at all. What I have, what God has given me, the breath in my body, without it, I'd just be dust. So just to have his breath and his life in me is enough. And I'm going to use it to the best of my ability. In other words, I had nothing, but now I have something to share with others. Amen? We must never forget where we've come from. And we must respond in gratefulness and generosity to others. Just coming to a close, and get Jack to come up and the band as well. You see, the opposite to humility is pride. Last week I had a conversation with Steve. I was thinking of speaking this message and Steve came to me after the service last week and said, God's been speaking to me about this. And uh, it didn't really sink in at the time, but when I got home I realised that's exactly what I want to preach on today. Because we're, we're talking about it and Steve said to me, you know, all the issues in the world around us are rooted in pride. As we talked about it, and like, that's true. You see, you look, and I, I don't want to uh, trivialise what's happening in Melbourne, but there are people in, in Melbourne and Victoria who are refusing to wear masks. To me, that's just pride. Because they go, it's my right to say no. Don't you realise you're part of something so much bigger than just yourself? that your decision can have a ripple effect to the vulnerable in your community, the elderly and the vulnerable, and it has. Because people are going, I have rights. You can't tell me what to do. That's pride. That's not humility. Steve loved to say this. He loved to say, have you ever noticed what the motto of the crows is? The byline, that they're the pride of South Australia. And maybe that's the reason they're the bottom of the ladder. Because God resists the proud. Maybe they thought of themselves more highly than they ought. They thought of themselves too good to, for anyone else. And I, as a Crow supporter, maybe that's true. Unfortunately, they're reaping the rewards of that right now. And that might be a bit soft and bit funny but it's true pride is where so many of our problems are found you see pride is self-focused it's not others focused pride is self-focused but humility is others focused you see pride conceals the truth it hides the truth but humility is openly honest about what's going on in our lives you see, pride is selfish, whereas 
Humility is selfless. Pride elevates itself. It puts itself up on a pedestal and says, look at me. Whereas humility looks to the best interests of others. The Bible is very clear that the remedy for pride is humility. I want to share with you a scripture to finish today. The last one, Emma, on my PowerPoint. Right at the end. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray. If we would just humble ourselves before God and say, God, I'm sorry that I've stopped depending on you. God, I'm sorry that I've taken things into my own hand. God, I'm sorry that I'm doing things in my own strength. I need you. God's promise is that He will heal our land. As we talked about before, before there can be salvation, there needs to be humility. Before God can save us, we have to say, God, I need your help. I need your help. I can't do this on my own anymore. Before we can be healed, this passage tells us there needs to be humility. Before God can forgive us of our sin and heal our land. For us to see God move in our land and in our community, we need to be humble soldiers. We need to be in that place where we say, God, it's you, you and only you, you first and everything else second. God, I need you. God, I depend on you. I want to be a humble soldier. I'm, I'm being honest. I'm taking up my place in your army and I'm looking outward, not inward. That's what God is calling us to, that we would humble ourselves, that we would humble ourselves and pray. I just want you to bow your head in a moment of reflection. The band's going to sing this song. And as they sing it, it's just these words of this passage, but as they do, I want you to begin to respond to God. Begin to, begin to talk to Him. Begin to, maybe for some of us, we do need to repent and say, God, I'm sorry for trying to do things in my own strength. Help me depend on you. Whatever you need to do, just do it.
to this city, to this nation, and to the nations of the world. Send me, I will go. him in an act of humility to say God you are in control I make a decision to seek you to turn from my ways right now as we sing this I want you to respond say God this is my response I humble myself I acknowledge you as my Lord and Savior as we humble ourselves 